when I visited their station, the chief showed me some stuff that they work with on a, some kind of SWAT rescue team. Now, most volunteer departments, the chief would have to look around and make sure he got the right four guys. He just went, you, you, and you. And they came over and they did what they did. And, and that's what impressed me. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thanks for being with me on Code 3 again. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. How would you define success in a volunteer department? Would it be recruiting and retention? How about solid leadership? Maybe response time? Today we're going to talk about a department that meets all of those criteria. It's called Ulster Hose Company 5 and it's found in New York's Hudson Valley near the city of Kingston. Just like a classic volunteer fire department, 90 members respond from their homes, and they cover 1,500 calls a year with an average response time of about three minutes. If you're struggling just to get members to show up for runs at your department, you'll want to pay attention. Back on Code 3 again to explain how they do it is Ed Dolan. He's been studying Ulster Hose 5 and had some interesting insights. Ed's a member of the Catskill Fire Department in New York. He's been there for 30 years, and he's served for more than half that time as a chief officer. Ed, thanks for being on Code 3 again. Appreciate the chance to be on, Scott. These guys have it figured out. What's the secret ingredient at Ulster Hose 5? Well, I think it starts at the top with, with leadership, and it trickles on down through the newest member. I've always been impressed by this outfit from afar how they operate, you can, you can tell within a few minutes of seeing people at work on a scene if they know what they're doing, if they don't know what they're doing. I've witnessed them many times at auto accidents over my career on the freeway authority. And they get out, they get out with a purpose, they get out knowing what they need to do, everyone's assigned a task. Nothing is unorganized, there's no chaos, there's no yelling, there's no screaming. And I was able to witness them at a couple fire pulls and the same thing, everything flows smooth. But what really impresses me is the fact that they still use the original model of the volunteer fire service where the whistle blows and the guys run to the station and get on their apparatus. They do that running about 1,500 calls a year, which is really unheard of. In a lot of southern states, they pay people to be at the firehouse for that many runs. With the chief, with his communication, his uh, emotional intelligence, the way he involves his, his members, his assistants, my visitor station, it's just absolutely the enthusiasm just was bleeding out of that place when I went down to visit. I, I can't say enough about the, the vibe you get when you walk in that department. And they're all volunteers, that right? Not a combination department at all. 100% volunteer. That's what's even more amazing about these guys. So how do you think they pull it off? And do you think someone else could do it too if they wanted to? Well, when you look at other outfits that are similar to them, and I'll go with the town of Colony outside the city of Albany, New York, they have departments with similar budgets, similar apparatus, but half the calls 
and they're paying three or four guys during the day to staff their apparatus. So whatever Ulster has done and the chief has done to keep their members interested, keep them trained, keep them responding, it's obviously hard to replicate when everybody else with that size department, when you compare apples to apples, can't do what they do. And that, that's, like I said, that's the amazing part. These guys are all volunteer. Let's bring in the chief of Ulster's Company 5, Sean Hepner. Chief, how do you build and maintain this team? One thing that we've we've always strided on was uh, generations and generations through the, the fire service here. It started long, long time ago. The chiefs that came through, we had a 25-year chief handed down through the system. There's been a few few chiefs after him, not that many. I think it's uh, five chiefs after him. He retired in 1994, and we kept his tradition of what he had always pushed forward. One was uh, aggressiveness. Training was always by far the best training we could possibly give the guys. We keep up on our apparatus. We keep up on our tools. If there's technology out there that can improve what we do, on the fire ground and even morale-wise, we try to get it. And, and if we can secure it and it's, and it's possible, we will get it. And the old-timers, they're still here. They're still running. They're still training. They come to almost every call. There, there's at least 10 of them. If you, if you get a structure fire, you got at least 10 guys here or more with 20, 25 years plus in the department. And what's Billy got in the department? about 50 years in the department, he's still active and he still keeps us on our toes. Wow. Now that's a lot to unpack. Let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about training. How do you get people out to train? A lot of chiefs say it's hard to get them to do that. Well, in our case, that's, that's not a problem. I have to say that the trainings that we do help us out. We do a lot of aggressive training. We, we don't sit in the room and go over PowerPoints every week. We train weekly. We write lesson plans for the training. We more or less keep the guys going very active. We start out in the beginning of the year with the basics. And as we go through the year, we work up to the more technical side of the department. So by the end of the year, we go through stem to stern of anything and everything we deal with. So how do you staff such a busy all-volunteer department in these times when other chiefs say people just aren't interested anymore? We have people that that come from other counties. We have people come from other towns that want to join here. I think one of the, the reasons that we keep our, our call volume going, the, the manpower for the call volume, is we have a lot of calls. There's a lot of calls. A guy can come to the, the, part, the firehouse, no matter what station you're at, hang out for three or four hours and catch a run. I think that helps us a lot. It might be a medical call. It might be a car accident. Whatever it is, you can guarantee coming here during the day and, and catching a run and going out on the apparatus. And on top of that, during the day, if you're hanging out, there's there's members around that do training during the day also. So it keeps the, the station active during the day also. It's not we don't sit around and hang out all day at the table or fool around all day. It's it's active all day. There's guys training. They're, they're driver training, running saws, pulling hand lines, whatever it takes to keep the guys going. 
And I know some people are going to say that the volunteer environment in upstate New York is different than in the Midwest, the South, or the Western states. Is it easier to get volunteers in the Northeast states? I, I really don't know, Scott. I, I think what, what makes it interesting for me, and I was thinking of this while Sean was talking, specifically their district, if you like fighting fire, their district's kind of suburban with uh, commercial building, light industry, single-family homes but they run second alarm to the city of Kingston where you get the typical Northeast two and a half story frame, balloon frame houses, two, three, four story flats that are connected and get going. And so you can go from like that inner city work to more suburban work to interstate accidents on their uh, arterial highways and stuff. So like in his situation, I think that helps keep people interested in because the types of calls you run, you know, you can go from a JAWS call to a second alarm in the city of Kingston to an automatic alarm. It just doesn't stop. And that, that's what I like about their district. You know, um, it's a little bit of everything. And I think that helps attract, you know, people and keep them there at their, their out. Sean, how is the ratio of fire calls to say EMS? We run, last year we ran 1,564 calls. And in that, it was 800 fire calls and about around 700 EMS calls. That seems to be kind of an unusual ratio to me. I mean, a lot of agencies are running a lot more EMS than fire these days. So on, on that, in our town, if, if I had to guess, I would say there's about 5,000 EMS calls in our town a year. We run life-threatening calls only. We don't go to medical facilities unless requested or it's a cardiac arrest. So there is a lot more medical calls and EMS calls in our district, but that is a contracted ambulance mobile life support. They, they run all the EMS calls in our district. So there is a lot more EMS calls to fire calls, but we don't run it. We're a tier two agency. Well, that alone has to attract a certain kind of a guy who wants to run fires and really would prefer not to do a whole lot of EMS. Yeah, we we have quite a few guys that are into the EMS side of it. Um, A lot of the guys here have their expectations set to to be a career fireman somewhere. So they go through the EMS role, and and we do have a very aggressive and, and a very good EMS service in our department we do we do a lot of cardiac arrests a year we do a lot of trauma calls a year and and we do have a lot of good outcome throughout the year from uh all we do even just running ems now how do you do in terms of retention you mean you mentioned people who'd like to be career firefighters do you get a lot of people in like a revolving door or do they stick around for a while mostly most of the guys that we have the younger guys that are career firemen, they are also still a volunteer here when they're obviously not working. And there's quite a few guys that that come through. Some guys move away. We've had a guy wanted to be a career fireman. He ended up going to Maine uh, to be a fireman. We have guys all over the place. But the guys that do work around here and in the state of New York, they they most likely would stay uh, an active member here and make their quota. Now, Ed, why don't you tell me a little bit about what the reputation of Ulster Hose is like? I'm in a county north of them, so I'm not in their world, so to speak. So, uh, obviously, you know, 
I love the fire service and I'm always talking and chatting and became interested in them when I was working down that way. You know, when I see, like I said, seeing how they operate, I'm, I'm big on uh, the fire side of volunteer fire service tactics and, and stuff like that. Not so much the social stuff. And uh, I've seen them at plenty of jaws calls and, and truck fires and stuff like that on the throughway. They caught my attention, you know, the way they operate. It, it's everyone's got a specific task. There's no uh, chaos. And what, what really gets me about these guys is when I visit their station, the chief showed me some stuff that they work with on a, some kind of SWAT rescue team. And he just grabbed four guys and said, hey, show them how to do this. Now, most volunteer departments, the chief would have to look around and make sure he got the right four guys. He just went, you, you, and you. And they came over and they did what they did. And, and that's what impressed me was everyone's pretty much on the same level that that I could tell the nights that I visited and when I seen them at different calls. You know, there's not, you know, in my department, there's a little bit bigger difference between what I'd call the A guys and, and the B guys. I don't see that that much with this department. Let's talk about that for a moment, Sean. Do you make sure everybody is equally trained or are there some people who specialize in certain things? So we, we have a few specialty teams. Obviously, one is to be EMS. Everybody is cross-trained in EMS. If you're not an EMT or a first responder, every member in the department is AED, CPR, first aid certified. If you're not an EMT, like I said. Uh, the second is we have the uh, rescue task force that we had started about, I'd say, about two years ago. We have started training with the rescue task force. Um, that all started out, we have two members that are on the local SWAT team as rescue medics. And one of the EMTs that's on it is assistant chief. They took interest in the rescue task force. And we started sending guys to Oriskany, sending guys all over the state to get trained in the rescue task force. Um, and on top of that, with the rescue task force, the entire department goes through the rescue task force training. So if you're not an EMT and you're not doing patient care, we have guys that are trained in the rescue task force just to transport victims, wherever that goes. And we, we do the, a bunch of training throughout the year on that. We've had a, a large group training with the police. And then we have the dive team. The dive team, we have right now 13 divers and almost... 80% of the membership is trained to be a tender for on, on the shore. Throughout the year, we put all of our trainings together to actually make every team, everybody in the department familiar with every team and everything that we do. So that's how we pull together and keep everybody on the same page. How many stations do you have? We have two stations. There's one on the, uh, the south end of our district, and then there's one on the four, far north end of our district. And you've got roughly 90 volunteer members, is that right? Yep, give or take 90. We, we, we take in, and an average in a year, we take in about six to ten members, and usually the ones that aren't familiar with us, they last a couple months and, and they're, they usually leave just due to how much work we put into the department and, and what we all go through to, to keep ourselves what we are. So I say in a year, we keep about five members every year. Sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's a little less, depending on the year. 
Like right now, I don't think we're going to get too many members with this, the coronavirus going around right now. Yeah, that's going to be tough on every volunteer department. Let's take a short break from the interview so I can ask you if you've seen all the Code 3 merch you can order. It's t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, and more stuff, all with the full color Code 3 logo. Wear one and tell the world that you support the podcast that has your back. Just go to Code3Podcast.com slash store and get your Code 3 apparel right now. What do you think that you guys do that could be applied to other volunteer departments that are having trouble? I think one of our biggest things is is our leadership. We're all interactive with, with everybody in the department. We all do the training. We all go to the training. We all get along with the guys. We we get out on the floor and we stay involved with, with every member in the department. Obviously, there's different groups in the department and we all get along and we, we work with everybody. And so there's no favoritism. It's just, it's a smooth running place, especially when the uh, cards are on the table. What's your training schedule like? So one of our uh, biggest things with our training is we, we hold the guys to a, to a higher level. We, we try to work everybody and we, like I said, we get involved with the training. So if there's a weakness, we're going to be involved in, in, in that weakness of, of the group. And we're going to work our way through that. And if something doesn't go right or, or something is wrong in the training, we correct it. We do our research. We get with the guy and we work them through, the, through it. One of the examples I can, I can give you is we, have, we had a member come in here a few years back, didn't want to wear an air pack. He wanted to be EM, an EMS guy and, and a driver. He, he was a middle-aged guy. Next thing you know, the, the guy seen the training that was going on in the department, and he had the drive to go through the firefighter one and become a fireman and, and be an interior fireman and a really good interior fireman for quite a few years. So the drive here is, is pretty high, and once you get a little lick of it, you know, the guys are taking off with it. They want, they want it all. Would it be fair to say that peer pressure among the guys keeps everybody on their toes? It's contagious. <laughs> yeah, like, like Rich just said, it's contagious amongst the guys. Everybody wants to go to the fire to a fire. It doesn't matter who, who they are. They all want to go to the fire. We don't have enough seats on the truck to send the guys to the fire. And when you come back, you can, you can tell because the guys that didn't make the truck ain't happy. So that's, that's a good thing to me. You know, usually you come back and there's guys sitting there just hanging out and drinking coffee and laughing and carrying on. We come back, there's guys mad because they didn't go to the fire. So hopefully it stays that way. You guys have a fairly quick response time. Do people respond from home? So all of our responses from home, we have pretty uh, populated area right across from the firehouse that quite a few guys live in. The one guy that I was talking about with 50 years in the department, Bill Williams Sr., he lives right across the street. He's our, he drives the first two engine for, for every fire call and every auto accident if it's, if it's after uh, hours and the guys ain't hanging around the firehouse. So he's in here within a minute. So then how is your response time? About three minutes. We're out the door in about three minutes. The second dispatch in our county is 
is five minutes. It used to be three minutes, and we never had a second dispatch when it was at three minutes. And now it's five minutes, and we're out the door well before that five minutes. Now, Ed, I think it's fair to say that that's a response time that some career departments would envy. Yeah, I mean, you can watch YouTube videos and you see career departments take two minutes, two minutes and 30 seconds to get out the door for some runs. It all goes back to their leadership, Scott. You know, they say like uh, certain coaches or, or players coach, well, their chief is a firefighter's chief. It's quite amazing to have a volunteer outfit and do fire EMS, plus you add in a dive team and a rescue task force. That's like unheard of for an all-volunteer operation. I can't think of anybody else in the area that does it, to be honest with you. That's true, Sean. Let's talk about that for a moment. You guys have got special units that most volunteer departments could never hope to staff. How do you find the people to do that that are willing to get qualified for those specialties? The dive team has been around since, I believe, 1984. Around 1984, I don't know the exact year. When the dive team was made, there was actually... I believe the story behind it, there was a drowning in our town and uh, the, the services wasn't there. And one of the old members came forward and said, we need a dive team. We're, we're shorting the, our customer here and we need to get a dive team. We need to do it now. From that day on, they were going to the pool and doing workouts to form the dive team. And I think that was one of the starting factors to, to our specialty teams. And that just went to show the, the work that them guys put in to get the dive team started. I got on the dive team in 1999 when I turned 18. And one of the biggest reasons I got on the dive team was to hold the tradition of, of the team. I didn't want to see it go down from all the hard work and all the equipment and everything that these members put forward to, to get this. I don't think the guys want to see this stuff go down the tubes just because somebody doesn't want to go get training. And that's with every team. We have a fast team. Every interior fireman has to be a, a fast qualified. You have to have all the qualifications for the fast team. And we do a, usually a monthly training on fast. And if, if we have a normal training, if we're, if we're stretching lines or we're doing searches, we always incorporate a fast drill into the the training to keep everybody up to speed on what we're actually uh, task at hand. All right. Give me your one best story that sums up what your department is like based on a response you've had somewhere. No, I, the only thing I, I could say is I, I don't, not to speak on just any general call. There's been a lot of tragedy in, in our area with a line of duty deaths of, of one in particular and the COVID-19 thing going on right now, members in the department having family issues or emergencies, and even an issue in the department, our department comes together by far like no other. These guys will come together for anything, anybody, at any time, any place, anywhere. They're a family. They're, they're brothers, they're sisters. They just come together, like I said, like I've never seen before. And, and I think that's what keeps us as what we are. Guys can rib on each other. Guys can get into arguments out on the floor. We can come back, talk about things. But in the end, when the bell goes off or when something goes on, 
these guys are, are brothers and sisters, and it doesn't matter what, what the outcome was before this. And I think that means a lot to the department, and I think that's one of the things that keeps it going. All right, Ed Dolan and Sean Hepner, thanks for being my guests on Code 3 today. Thanks, Scott. Have a good one. Take care. Ulster Hose Company 5 is what you call an outlier, a department that's not typical. But does that have to be the case? Why can't your department adopt Ulster's examples and get similar results? What are your biggest challenges? You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash Ulster. There are links to more resources there as well. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.